A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And it's the same old story for England, who suffered a heavy 157-run defeat to India in the fourth test at the Oval. Over the next hour, we'll discuss where they go from here, what changes could they make, should they make, ahead of this week's fifth test, and we'll hear from Captain Joe Root. As well as that, Indian cricket writer Anant Vasu revels in another win for the tourists, whilst we also get the very latest from Pakistan with ESPN Crick Info's Osman Samyuddin. Plenty to come over the course of the show. This is the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Well, I said in the introduction there, same old story for England, uh, Harmi. That's not, it's not quite true. I mean, it's 2-1, it's not 2-0, but it's ups and downs and... And when I said the same old story, it, it seems to be largely uh, the same old mistakes. And I don't know where, where there's so many talking points. And of course, you've been doing the following on podcast after each day's play. So, so you've chewed over all of the talking points. But I, I have to say, you, you just you have to make it as difficult as possible for the opposition, don't you, in test cricket? Don't give them anything. Make them work for everything. Yeah, and that's been very difficult to to watch that last day and try and analyse what has happened over five days. Because, man, there's there's been a lot of talk this summer about scheduling problems and first-class cricket and hundreds and everything that goes with that. But that had nothing to do with what happened over the last five days. England picked the side to win the game on day one. Is that a, a, it's a gamble, but... Sitting at tea time on day one, it probably was you were looking, thinking, right, this has paid off. But over the course of five days, England had a chance, many chances, multiple chances to really ram home the advantage that they got into. Letting India get 191 when India, India should have been bowled out for 150. The top ruthless side, international side, would have bowled India out for 150. England were 220 for six and only got 290. The lead of 100. The lead should have been, it should have been well over 150. It's a totally different game. We dropped catches after catches again. 
Um, and you can't give this side like India a chance to, to sort of get back into the game. And I'll put this down to why India are, are, are a great side now is every single game these Indian players play are under the immense pressure. They play IPL under ridiculous pressure for whatever franchise they're at. One day cricket is played under immense pressure and so is test match cricket now. And I think when you play at a level of pressure like that all the time, when it comes down to the tight games and the games get to day four and day five and they're still in the balance, the team that's used to playing under pressure, the team that handles pressure the best, but also when your body's tired, mentally you're fatiguing and you make mistakes, the team that plays under pressure are the ones that come out and win. And there's no coincidence in that. This, this India side has been in 2021, drawn Sydney on, on day five, won in Brisbane, blew England away at Lords largely on day five, and then won this one at, um, at the Oval. When at lunchtime, the game was still, you know, yeah, nip and tuck. Could England get over the line? Could England get a point to put India under pressure between lunch and tea? Absolutely blown away. And that, for me, is a, a sign of a great side. I played against that great Australian side. And for three and a half days, you, you were in the game. But because of the, the team that was very, very good under pressure, dealt with the pressure best and skill sets came came good at the end under pressure put the put the team that 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 couldn't handle it they put them to bed and that for me is where this india side's going what concerned me harmy is that when the pitch gets flat and the ball goes soft um and there's no seam and there's no swing that's when quick bowlers really really earn their their crust isn't it it's all it's Ollie Robinson's a fantastic bowler when there's something in the pitch for him when he's bowling in English conditions, typical English conditions. But um, but you look at Jasprit Bumrah, um, the ball that he bowled to to Johnny Besto, things were just similarly flat at that time, and he suddenly gets the ball to reverse swing. There was a great uh, <laughs> tongue in cheek tweet I saw the other day. Somebody said, or oh, yesterday, somebody said, uh, Alexa, play me Jasprit Bumrah, and Alexa replies. Sorry, Jasprit Bumrah is unplayable. That's how Johnny, Johnny Bairstow must have felt. But seriously, you know, England are, India are making 460 in the second innings. Everything's flat. And they just didn't seem even to be able to dry things up. I mean, if nothing's happening for you as a bowler, you've got to be able to play it dry, haven't you? You've got to be able to bowl lots and lots, dozens of dot balls. And England really lost, lost a, a session and a half. Yeah, and then that that's that's the, the point I want to make about the the comments after the game is that Chris Silverwood said, you know, what when when Mark Wood didn't play, he wouldn't have made much more of a difference. Well, I disagree, Spoons. I'm sorry. I think that I, I think he's a he's a great guy, but I disagree because the what Jasper Bumrah did was he got the ball to reverse swing. Not many, no one other Indian seamers really got it to reverse swing like Jasper Bumrah. The reason why I got reverse swing because he bowled it at a high intensity. He bowled at 90 mile an hour. And what is Mark Wood? Oh, he's a bit different to what, what we've got. He bowls 90 mile an hour. So for me, the reason why we didn't get reverse swing because our bowlers weren't bowling fast enough to get it to go. And we didn't get in the position to get it to go because our spinner, who was trying to bowl into the surface, couldn't get it. He, he wasn't bowling. And I thought that tactically... I thought we were we we felt short. I thought we looked lost all at sea on that fourth afternoon when when India were having a time getting four six six, and these little things do mount up when it comes to the last day. England chased three six eight on the last day when there were probably 
that should have been about 150 less if they had been ruthless, taking their chances. And it, that's just, I think, where this England side is at this moment in time. But Bumrah was unbelievable. And yes, Johnny got an absolute beauty, but uh, he was unplayable for six overs there, Jasper Bumrah. Well, let's talk about the batsmen. Uh, let's let's move away from from the bowlers um, for for the moment. It looks like Hasib Hamid and Rory Burns um, are, are probably going to to start the Ashes, aren't they? Top of the order. I mean, they've uh, put on an, another hundred. Every batsman seeks consistency as the holy grail. They're certainly not consistent. Um, uh, Hasib, anyway, seems to be a naught or fifty. But um, good for the first wicket again. Yeah, definitely. And. As somebody who's been quite critical of Burns, I thought he got two good balls in this in this Test match. He looked and shaped up very well on his home ground, and I thought Hamid played, especially in the second innings. I thought he played the reverse swing of the reverse 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 swinging ball very very well. He looked to to go with the swing. Um, his defence was very very good. He was proactive in getting rotation of strike. I thought Hamid was and and Burns were a plus point. Um, apart from probably the run out that started the whole thing, the whole ball rolling when he's uh, he ran Milan out when England were quite comfortable, 110 for one. Um, so there, there were a lot of for me there were a lot of positives in this game, but it just it typified where England's at. They didn't get a hold of the game, grasp the game when it was winning when they were in a winning position or a commanding position and really ran home the advantage. Um, but I thought Burns and Burns and um, Hamid were, were very, very good without being exceptional and going on to get that big, big score. You know, when India were racking up 460 in the second innings, I couldn't help thinking, looking at Joe Root and uh, and wondering how many times he thought, where's Ben? I desperately yeah. need something to happen. Where's Ben? Oh, man, as I said that, on following on two days. That, that, that It's the first time I've thought, and not, not for the first time I think we've missed him, but the first time... It was Cape Town moment. It was Headingley moment. It was, right, there's not much happening here. I was in the ground at the time and I said, this has gone flat. This is flat now. We need some inspiration. We need a, during my time, Vaughan used to say, I'd throw the ball to Flintoff, even though he, was, he wasn't ready to bowl. Give us, just give us two overs, because the minute the guy with the tannoy says, from the pavilion end, Andrew Flintoff, from the pavilion end, Ben Stokes, the crowd lifts, the crowd erupts. All of a sudden, something's going to happen. And I thought for the first time, this was the time when we probably needed Ben just to give it a little Ben Stokes special. So um, looking ahead, does Jimmy play? I mean, let's see how he pulls up in the next couple of days. But as a, as a, as a, do, you, do you throw absolutely everything, your, your very best, and ask Jimmy for one last eyeballs-out effort to square the series? I don't think he's got a choice, to be honest, Manus. I really don't think he's got a choice. I think he he has to play. Overton got a bang on the arm. Is he gonna be? Is he gonna be fit? Wood has to play. Saki Mahmood gets injured on Sunday when he goes back to play for Lancashire. I think Root and Silverwood have to sit down with Robinson and Anderson and say, "Look, what have you got? Honestly, what have you got? If you've got enough to get us through, I'll pick you. If you're you know, honestly, you have to tell us that you know, where your body positions are. If it's not, we'll go with somebody else. But I can imagine Jimmy playing. A lot of people said, "Oh, why did you want to leave Anderson out in the last last Test match? He's bowled great." I wanted to leave him out in the last Test match because he's thirty nine year old. He's not a robot. I didn't want to leave him out in any Test match. 
but he's not 29 anymore. He's 39. He's bowled 163 overs in five and a half weeks. Robinson playing his sixth test, fifth test match, bowled 166 overs in five and a half weeks. You know, we're going to not so much going to break them, but we actually, what sort of product are we going to get out of them? We can't criticise them if things don't go right because of what they've had to go through. I think Robinson players, I think Anderson players, it might just be a symbol from the bowling department or the team department. In my eyes, it should be one change, and that's Wood for Overton. But I've got a funny feeling Josh Butler's going to come back as well. Yeah, he's in the squad. Enough for us uh, for the moment. Let's remind ourselves of what the head coach and the captain had to say afterwards. First of all, Chris Silverwood. Obviously, James has his own body, and he will certainly give me a, an honest opinion of where he's at, and it's certainly one that I will listen to. Uh, and when we have got a little bit of time now between this game and the next one, I know what it's like. You won't want to miss any cricket, but again, we've got to make sure that you know, we, we look after him. Head coach Chris Silverwood, and here's Joe Root. I think it's something that we've got to get better at. I think it's something that we've got to keep looking to improve um, and recognising those key moments in games and, and, and enforcing it a little bit more. We did it very well at Headingley, um, and I think we didn't quite manage to do it this time around. So it's something that we've got to be more consistent at. With a lot of other things within um, this format, we've got to look to be more consistent at, at, at a few different things. And I think that mindset, you look at that spell from Bummer and recognise the key moment in the game uh, and turn the game on its head this afternoon. It's something that we've got to look to make sure that we, we're doing as well. It's time now to see how India are reacting to their victory. And, and I'm delighted to say that we're joined once again by veteran Indian cricket writer Anand Vasu. Anand, um, lots and lots of places to start, but I'll, I'll throw this one at you. India have won on the two flattest pitches, the two pitches offering the least amount of seam, the least amount of swing. And, and it would look like England need very typically English conditions in order to beat this potentially great Indian team, or is it great already? Well, I suppose they've had more practice bowl, uh, bowling on flat pitches than England have. In India, it's either turning tracks or wickets that flatten out and then you become roads by day three or day four. So uh, traditionally, the fast bowlers, India's fast bowlers, have all been very good at bowling on flat pitches. Uh, and and they, even in domestic cricket, they have to get good at bowling reverse swing because otherwise uh, they're not going to get very far. And, and then the, you look at the way India have come back time after time in this, this test match. England had India... You know, in, in real trouble on day one, Shadul Thakur came back. And then when Keir Rahul and, and Rohit Sharma, 100 behind, came out and batted the way they did. Is that where this side's at, this this India side? Man has mentioned this great India side. Is that what we, we're looking at as, from an Indian point of view of, of calling it one of the, the, the great Indian sides because of how they're performing now away from home? Absolutely. And uh, the fact that they're not getting cowed down when they're so far behind the game... I think even on day one, you know, they're used to the collapse a fair bit now. So that wouldn't have bothered them so much. But to have been 100 behind and then to have the openers come out and play like they did, I think Rohit Sharma there made the difference in the game. Because there have been Indian sides in the past, uh, especially away, who would have crumbled a bit under that kind of pressure, who would have uh, perhaps not had the resources and the heart to go on and you know, get into a winning position from there. There might have been teams that would have still worked through to draw games, but to this team has this absolutely uh, single-minded belief that they can win every game that they play. They're obviously not going to win every game that they play, but at any given position, 
they think they can win and they think they have the players who can turn a losing position into a winning one. And, you know, it's, it, it's great when it comes off like it did in the last test match. But even otherwise, it ensures that the opposition know that they're always going to be in for a hard fight against this Indian team. You mentioned Rohit Sharma. This is what he had to say, for those who missed it, um, about his thoughts. Uh, he, he thought that it might be his last chance as a test opener. In the back of my mind, I knew this was the last chance for me as well, uh, trying another, another position in the batting order. And I know, uh, you know, I, I battled in the middle order before and things didn't turn out the way I wanted to. But I knew this is going to be my last opportunity, uh, trying whatever, you know, the management is thinking, whatever I want to try. So, yeah, you can say that it was going to be my last opportunity. Uh, if I wouldn't have succeeded, uh, you know, anything could have happened. Anant, I'm embarrassed to repeat some of the things that are said about Rohit Sharma. You know, flat track bully, white ball specialist, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, for such a for such a phenomenal player, I mean, he he actually sounds like he um, accepts that there was an element of um, of some part of his game missing that he has put right now with his first overseas century as an opener. Yes, and uh, for those of us who have seen Rohit uh, from the time he was about 16 years old, he was he was always spoken of as the next big thing from Bombay, and the next big thing from Bombay is a is a pretty big title in Indian batting. But uh, <laughs> we could never understand why he could perform at such a high level in white ball cricket, but not crack the code in Test cricket. And then it became that he was scoring runs in Test cricket at home, but not scoring runs away. And he was, frankly, just too good a batsman. You just watch him play, the, the amount of time he has, the balance he has in the crease. Uh, and his, his, the setup of his game is very simple. If you look, you look at his, you know, his stance and his uh, overall technique, there's nothing fancy, there's nothing unusual. It's really what a, a coach would like when trying to build a, a quality batsman. I think the one big change we've seen in this series uh, overseas in comparison to other series is that he's looking to play a lot straighter. He's not playing as many of those shots through cover and uh, cover point as he normally does. On Indian pitches, you he'd go through, he'd play through the line, he'd open the face to the bat, and and he'd be successful. But I think that brought about his downfall a little bit overseas. He's completely cut that out of his game uh, on this tour. He's looking to play very very straight, and I suspect now the pull when he's playing the uh, ball that's over his shoulder and instinctively going for it is literally the only real weakness in his game. Otherwise, he's just tightened things up, kept them very simple and um, still scored runs. Can I just ask quickly about Shardul Thakur? Yeah. A lot of people have said what a find he is for India. Um, but, you know, I, I know, as you do, you, you know enough about cricketers that unless they are literally 18 playing international cricket, they haven't come from nowhere. They've usually put in a great deal of hard work. And, you know, um, he's not a find for India. I'm sure he's been around for years. I, I know that you wanted Rohit Sharma to get the Man of the Match award. I would have given it to Shardul Thakur for 50 in both innings. Some crucial, crucial wickets. Can you just tell us a little bit about him, where he has come from? He's, he comes from the suburbs of Bombay. As you say, he's been around for a long time. And when you come from Bombay, you certainly haven't come from nowhere because there's probably more organised cricket being played in uh, Mumbai on any given day than anywhere else in the world. He's been through the grind, through age group cricket, through Ranji Trophy, played for India A and... So, in that sense, there's nothing really new about Shardul Thakur. But what has been a discovery of sorts is his ability to bat like this against this quality bowling. 
because you know in first class cricket he averages 16 and the quality of bowling the is much much lower there the 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 pace that the ball comes through is much more gentle um, the pitches are far more friendly uh, the atmosphere is non-existent because most of indian first class cricket is played on empty grounds so when you think of all these factors and you see you literally flip them uh, 180 degrees to what you're getting in england at the moment and he's still belting it it's just, um, I think that's been the big surprise for everyone. As a bowler, you know, he, he, he does his thing. He likes bowling long spells. He bowls. He's not exceptionally quick. He swings the ball a bit. And he has the knack of um, picking up wickets, like we said uh, a few weeks ago when we spoke about him. There's just something about him. He, he might be going for a lot of runs and he looks like, you know, he, he should be yanked out of the attack. But you give him one more over and inevitably he picks up a wicket. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I agree with Manners. It's, um, for me, Shadol Thakur should have been man of the match, but we all know it's a batsman's game. So, Rohit Sharma was always going to get it, even though that your number eight batsman got 117 runs, got three wickets, which is Ollie Pope on 81, which changed the innings. Rory Burns on 50, which got the second inning started for India, and then he got the prize wicket of Joe Root. Why wouldn't you get man of the match for that? But no, it's a batsman's game. Talking to a fast bowler, but... Speaking of a batsman who's in a little bit of a, a tough run of form, this injury, potential injury to Pajara and Sharma, is that giving Ajinkya Rahani one more test match potentially to save his test career? You would think so, um, especially with India being 2-1 up. The, the, the chances are that uh, they would give Rahani a little bit of a longer rope. And Rahani did well in uh, a couple of tests ago in a partnership with Pujara in a crucial time. I think that experience... Uh, the experience that he has will see him through this series. With this in- Indian team and selection, though, it's really hard to predict anything. They're, they're capable of doing just about anything. And, and, and then the logic comes after, the justification comes after. Surya Kumar Yadav is the obvious one waiting in the wings, uh, looking to break into this team. And the team does rate him very highly. But I think for the moment, as you point out, with niggles to these two uh, experienced batsmen, Rahani might get another goal. And he's vice-captain as well, so perhaps that should count to something. And speaking of, of vice-captain, we talk about Virat Kohli's run of a century. Con- not getting a century, continues. I was there on the first innings. The way he got, when he got 50, he batted beautifully at the Oval. I just watched him. He was, he was poetry in motion again. And there's been a lot made of his captaincy. I've been critical at times, but I thought yesterday his captaincy was unbelievable. Ah, I thought it was fantastic the way he captained his team in, in um, on day five. Has the doubters or other question marks still at Virat Kohli because he's not scored that test century? Uh, not so much, uh, I think, because he's not been batting particularly badly. When he has made runs, even if it's been 30 or 40 or 50, he's looked comfortable. He's been... Uh, good at the crease. It's not as though, uh, you know, one bowler has worked him out. So I, I think people are people people still believe that's only a matter of time before he comes good and makes um, that 100. Uh, it, it has been two years, though, and the doubters will doubt because when you're as good as Virat Kohli is and you've know, set the standards that he has, you can't go two years without scoring 100 and expect people not to be critical of you. Okay, a couple of minutes to go. Here's what uh, the Indian batting coach, by the way, Vikram Rathod, had to say about Ajinkya Rahani's form. When you're playing cricket for such a long time, you will have phases where you will not get runs. And that is the time as a team we need to, you know, back them and support them as much as we can. We saw with uh, Pujara also, I mean, him getting more opportunities and he's come back. He's played a couple of very important innings for us. 
So we are hoping that Ajinkya also will get back into form and he will, you know, still play major role in Indian team's batting. So that point is not yet. I don't think we have arrived to that point where it should uh, become a concern. So no concerns amongst the senior team management, Anand. Just two very quick points. Um, they might, both might be a bit sensitive for you to tread on. But um, the first include, uh, uh, concerns are Ashwin, who's uh, cut more and more of a disconsolate and distant figure um, he's not even sitting in the change room these days. He's sitting in the stands. And this poor chap, you know, the best spin bowler in the world, running laps of the ground. And I, I just, I still can't come to terms with it. And I know India are 2-1 up. Um, and, and the other, um, well, not concern, I suppose, but the other talking point has been uh, Ravi Shastri and a couple of other members of the management uh, contracting COVID by going to a book signing. Well, uh, let's start with Ashwin, because I think that's the easier one to tackle of the two. (laughs) We all have been saying from day one that uh, Ashwin should have been in the mix at some point, if not at all the games. I know horses for courses is one thing, but then you don't leave a thoroughbred out and then, you know, play run a mule in the derby. But look at look at how things are going for Kohli at the moment. You know, you look when you that big second inning score uh, in the last test on a flat pitch, you would have thought that Ashwin would be sorely missed. But he wasn't. Uh, India won comfortably even without Ashwin being there, which only means that Ashwin will be sitting in the stands for a bit longer. And after this, India have uh, two, two tests at home and then go to South Africa at the end of the year and then don't play very much cricket in India for pretty much 12 months. And Ashwin's not getting any younger. So I, it's really hard to see where this is going for Ashwin. It's, it's difficult to watch. But with the team, with the, with the results coming in their way, it's not going to change anytime soon. And as for COVID, well, we don't really know these days where, who's getting what. But we do know that these, uh, the Ravi Shastri and some other members of support staff and some players even were at this book launch and books, uh, book event in, in England, in London. And that it was crowded and that it, were, that it happened without the ECB's uh, blessings. So there will be a few questions asked, I'm sure. But as long as none of the players get affected and the game goes on, I think uh, this too shall pass. Thank you so much indeed for your time. Uh, and, and you're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison. Next up, we'll continue to preview the fifth test, which starts on Friday, and we'll wax lyrical about one of the greats of the game who announced his retirement this week. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with the Institute of Cricket. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience 
eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. If you missed the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. Tommy, um, one man we haven't mentioned is Chris Wokes, who's had a, a horror year, really, in, in so many ways. He hardly played any cricket. He was a travelling reserve for uh, for six months, but gosh, he, he did show us what England's been missing. You know, he's um, he made such a big impression, didn't he? He did, and I was pleased for the I was pleased for the kid because a lot of the stuff he's missed, a lot of the cricket he's missed, has not been his doing. He's not. He he picked up an injury. That's why he's been out in in recent times. But before that, he got COVID because he was in a taxi with Mo and Ali, so that he couldn't get in. And then once you you're not in the side, it's not so much difficult, especially this side, to, to get back in. But it's difficult to sort of get a run of games um, once you get going. But hopefully, fingers crossed for Chris, he's he's showing a lot of people that we miss that character that he's got. This all-round nice guy that we see on TV and the humbleness when he speaks, when he does interviews and the, the, the nice guy, that team man, that England, the England cricket team inside love. I thought he showed a, a, a little bit of a ruthless streak when he played in this test match. He came out to bowl and he bowled with purpose. He hit good areas. Um, he got a, a beauty to get rid of Robert Sharma um, on the first, I think it was on the first morning or first day. In England, he is fantastic for me. The thing is, you talk about the challenge of and criticism, people label at him away from home. Well, some places away from home, even the great Jimmy Anderson has struggled. So when you were looking at picking squads going forward, you've got to remember players are a year older, a player a year wiser, a player more, more experienced away. So that's Chris's challenge going into the winter when it comes. I still think he's a still a valuable member of this cricket team away from home, and he's not just a home home cricketer. Um, and again, he, he showed his worth with the bat because in times both innings, he looked as though that he can balance this side out very very well at number eight. And I just hope now he gets a run in the side. It's a big ask for him to go to Manchester and play, having not played four day cricket for a, four or five day cricket for a long period of time. But again, like we said in the, in part one. He might just be the one like Jimmy Anderson and Ollie Robinson called in and said, you know, you're going to have to go again because not that we've not got anybody else, but you're the best options we've got at this minute in time. I'm a massive fan of uh, Sam Curran, as you know. But in the test team, um, it, it, there's just been this sort of question, what are you? Are you a second seamer? Are you a, are you a, a batsman? Or what? You know, there's a, and, and, and Wokes was described as an, as an upgrade a significant upgrade on Sam Curran, which I think is harsh on, on Sam Curran because I think he's a beautiful cricketer and I think he just needs to find his niche. But with Wokes, you really do know exactly what you're getting. 
Absolutely. You know that he's going to bowl a ball into length. You know he's going to swing it if the conditions are there to be swung. If it's going to seem around a bit, he understands the areas he's tried to bowl. And he's more experienced. He's played a lot more cricket than Sam Curran, and that's the challenge for Sam. But the problem for Sam is where does he get that? Where does he get that? Why is Sam Curran not aware in playing? If he's not going to be playing in the test matches, why is he not playing for Surrey now in four-day cricket? From a value point of view, why isn't Sam Curran playing three four-day games for, for for Surrey to try and get him used to bowling that length in four-day cricket? Understand if the pitch gets flat, what length you have to to bowl and not concede boundaries and not concede runs and and little things like that will go in in, in Sam Curran's favour because he needs to get a little bit more experience playing the red ball to justify picking him in test matches. It's harsh, I think, when people criticise Sam in test match cricket because he's played hardly any red ball cricket full stop. So he's still learning how to bowl when things are flat. He's not playing first class cricket. So, and you're not playing against lesser opposition. You're playing test match. You're running in against the likes of Rohit Sharma, Virat Kohli, trying to find a length to stop them from scoring, to build up some pressure, to potentially when it does come in your favour, to, to actually be effective. If you're constantly going for boundaries or four and a half, five and over, what it does to your confidence is is it, it, is ridiculous. So it, it's a managing thing for Sam on how you how you can get him into that position because he plays so many white ball games. But I agree at this minute in time, there's no question. Wokes plays over current every single day of the week at the minute. Let's hear from Dave uh, David Bumble Lloyd, who was on Talksport a little earlier talking about the Test match purely because he's just great value. Do they believe they can win? You've got to believe you can win. And so when you, you look back and where was the Botham, where was the Flintoff, where was the Stokes, where was the Peterson who walks out and says, right, game on. Yeah. We look very meek. What about India's performance? How impressed are you with that team? Laura, they're a crack outfit. And I'm mm. going to use that word again. They're tough. They've got mm. a tough leader. They're a tough team. And at the tough times, they deliver every time. They get on top of England and they stamp on England and don't let them out. We don't have anybody who will be a bit mongrel and take them on. We've got a lot of young lads in there and I know that they'll be quiet. They won't say anything. You've got to fight fire with fire. And cricket's a non-contact sport, but there's a look, there's a gesture that can move a team. Now, we haven't got that at the minute. We're not tough enough. I know the dreaded A word is bound to come up, the ashes. Yeah. We cannot play like that. You've got to be tough as a unit, as a team. Well, you're talking about the ashes there, Bombo. I mean, uh, is it any real surprise? Because we look at this India team and you, you've, you've got it in a nutshell. They're tough, full of characters, full of, full of people that will step up, whether they need to take a wicket or whether they need runs. They had a brilliant result down in Australia with the lost, I think they lost the opening test, come back and 1-3-1. So is it any surprise that we're seeing the kind, kind of gulf in class between the two teams at this moment in time? No, they're, they're a world-class outfit. And, you know, listening to the interview and, and bemoaning the fact to injuries, India have two makeshift openers. Yeah. And they're playing against the best bowler in the world. And they're absolutely fine. These are makeshift one-day openers, the pair of them because the lad's out with concussion, and so they've stuck with them, and they've done the job as an opening pair. We get into an almighty grind, we put ourselves in an almighty jam, and you can see once the blockathon stopped, we're going to start losing wickets. It's there, you can see it. There's no aggression. 
I'm not talking about going out slogging one day, nothing like that. But you, the game of cricket, the principle is you've got to score runs. Mm-hmm. Simple. But Mo, just a quick one. Why is there no Ashwin? Yeah, you, well, yeah, yeah. You see 400 and odd test match wickets and he's a wonderful bowler away from home, but he's got it right. He brings Sakur in yeah. and he's, he's man of the match. He's the best player on the field, Sakur, who hasn't been playing that much. And, and so they've got resources. And he's used Jadeja as his spinner, as his holding spinner. So nobody's got after him. He's bowled merrily away at one end and nobody's bothered. You've got to disrupt him and get after him so that he has to keep bowling his pace, man. But, you know, we, we just didn't do it. We were passive. Bumble, can I ask you a little bit about Jimmy Anderson, whether he'll be available to play? Do you think they should have maybe managed that a little bit better? What do you think of the situation? Well, he's bowled his tripe out. He really has. He's as fit as a fiddle. Forget the 39-year-old, but they've not got enough runs, so he's always out there bowling. He's the best bowler, so they turn to him all the time. He's absolutely shattered, I would think, but when you've got a player like that, the, the conversation will be with him to ask him, can you do it? Can you do it one more time? And, and he'll be honest enough, if I know Jimmy Anderson, uh, to say yay or nay. The desire will be there, the heart will be there. But, you know, Ali, Laura, you'll know that sportsmen now get into a red zone. And when they're in the red zone, the medics pull them. (laughs) He's definitely in the red zone, without a shadow of a doubt. He's an absolute warrior, this lad. And if if he feels he can do it, he'll put his hand up. But I think you've got to be sensible. But what about the... What what can we put the... Not for the first time, what can we put the collapse down there? I mean... These boys can play. Uh, Johnny Bearsall, Ali, Pope. All of a sudden, we lose four wickets for six runs. Well, I know we got a great start on the 70-odd, but then the morning, it stopped. The whole game stopped. We stopped the game. Didn't didn't play a shot in anger. Yeah. And then, you're, you you know, there's a carrot there, like you said right at the beginning. Can we win it? Can we? We've got a great start, 70-odd. Can we win it? And so, the grind to a halt. And then you try to pick up momentum again. And yeah, I could see it coming all the time. I just, they're yeah. going to lose a shed full here because they're going to start chasing. They weren't up with the rate. They weren't up with the game. Can we win it? There's a big crowd on. The crowd would rather, absolutely, everybody in the country would rather them go down scrapping, fighting, yeah. giving it a right yeah. go than what happened yesterday. That was Bumble with his uh, honest and forthright views on England's performance. How do you measure great fast bowlers? How do you measure greatness? For me, uh, one of the ways is if you're watching a test match and you're desperate to go and use the facilities, but you can't because somebody's in the middle of a spell that you cannot take your eyes off. Shane Warne, Wasim Akram, Waka Yunus, Alan Donald. You, actually, Harmy, at the top of your game, honestly, um, you know, and I'm not just saying this because you're my co-host, but, you know, there were some spells that you just you were, we couldn't take your eyes off. And, 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 but the way I, one of the ways I, I measure greatness, just from my personal scale, is how many of those spells and how long a period they went on for. And Dale Stain's top of that list because, goodness me, he was an, not just bums on seats bowler, he was an edge of your seat kind of bowler, wasn't he? He was. He was. I thought he was one of the the very best, if not up there in the top sort of three or four best fast bowlers of my generation. I didn't see the likes of Mikey Holden and uh, and, and bowlers before that, but 
I look at Dale. I was in his. I played in his first Test match in Port Elizabeth alongside. I think uh, Ab played his first Test match in that. Yep. And then when he knocked over Michael Vaughan, we quickly knew who Dale Steele was. To be fair, after that, I faced him at the Wanderers, and you know Vaughan and Trez climbed into him, but he was he wasn't slow, and it wasn't pleasant facing Dale Steele when the lights were on in the Wanderers in his second or third Test match. And from then, he's turned into an absolute champion. Every time his team needed him, every time, you know, the captain wanted a little, a little special spell, he got one. And I want to ask you, Manners, what was it like to watch and commentate on him for so long? Because you know, we've seen him from a, a distance and afar, played against him numerous times, but to have to commentate on the players of that generation and that time, he must have been right up there when you are commentating and you get excited and you think, oh. I hope he's about. Hope he's bowling when I'm commentating next. Yeah, oh, look, he, he, as I said, I mean, it was edge of your seat stuff, and you would you'd find yourself in the commentary box, sitting on the edge of your seat, and realise that you'd been there for the for the entire spell. Um, and you know what enhanced his performances on the field was the person that he was off the field, because you you just called him a superstar there, and and he was he was a sporting superstar. But you know he was motivated more by proving to himself and to everyone else that he was no better than them off a cricket field. Mm. Um, and he, and he, he used to go out of his way sometimes so far as to, to break security protocols. Like in the IPL, you're supposed to stay in, I'm talking pre COVID here, yeah. but you know, the superstars had to, they, the security would tell them don't leave the hotel. And, and Dale Stone would see some kids playing with a, you know, a, a crate and a, and a, and a tape ball on a, on the field outside the hotel and he would just go down and sneak out the back door and go and play with them. And suddenly there was a crowd of a 500, you know, gathered around, but, but he, he just was motivated by, by not being, he accepted, I'm a superstar on the cricket field. I have got mm. a rare gift and an ability to bowl a cricket ball and to get people out. And I'm very good at, at cricket, but as far as everything else is concerned, I'm no better than anybody else. Mm. And, and the, the upbringing of, of Dale Stern, is that why he was like that? Because of a, because I always found him as like quite humble, quite shy. I don't know if that was the character, was quite shy and reserved um, out in the public, in the public eye. He didn't want to be this, this superstar. Is that, did that come from his, from, his, from his upbringing? Because I've seen some of his pictures on social media and around his family. He didn't look as though he wanted to be in the bright, bright lights in the big city. That's right. I mean, he grew up in a in a in a, a town called Palaboa, which is one of the gateways to the Kruger National Park. You know, it's a, it's a very very small town. You uh, everybody knows what everybody else is doing, um, and it's one of those places that you have to leave in order to uh, make a name for yourself and and to, you know get onto the big stage and whatever it is that you do, um, unless you're a a, a, a game guide, <laughs> a game ranger. But that's exactly right. I mean, he and so he did. He made the trek down to Pretoria and he played, started his professional cricket career there. Came from very, very humble background. Didn't have um, much money at all. Actually, very early on, he spent a couple of nights sleeping in the indoor nets. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, like he had no, genuinely had no money. But after 10 years in the IPL, you know, he's been able to, to make not just his dreams come true, but, you know, his parents as well. He, his mother, he, he bought his mother, they, they divorced when he was quite young. 
uh, he moved his mother to Cape Town, bought her, her own house. His father always wanted his dream motorbike, so um, he bought him a Harley Davidson. So you know, he's just he's fulfilling everybody's dreams. Mm. Um, it's he's um, he was a skateboarder, you know. Not many people know that. Um, he was good enough as a teenager, as a skateboarder, to think about joining the World Skateboard Tour. Um, and has since moved, since he moved to Cape Town, he's uh, transferred that to skateboarding on the water, and he's become a very good surfer. But, you know, um, in many ways, Harmy, he has got the world at his feet and, uh, you know, he can do whatever he wants. You know, it's interesting. I mean, you know, it sounds like a dream scenario, but I, I don't know. He, he, his, the road ahead is not clear, which many people might think is exciting, but um, it also helps sometimes to, to have a direction. Yeah, it does. And, you know, we at, at Talk Sport, we do the, the, the After the Light show and it'd be intriguing to, to hear where he is going with that and whether he goes going to coaching, whether he goes into commentary or just punditry just to get him through it. But it is a difficult challenge to, to move on from such a high and telling everybody, telling you how good you are and pumping your tyres up to within three, five, six months you're not that fast bowler anymore. You're not the IPL superstar. You're not the best bowler in the world that you've been for the past part of 10 years. Um, and life quickly moves on. And if you don't move on quickly, it can be dangerous sometimes. So fingers crossed, Dale, you enjoy your retirement. You find something to do as well as surf and skateboard and everything that goes with it. Because this great game of cricket has a, has lost a superstar. Hopefully, hopefully civilian life will be as easy as it looked when you were bowling them cricket balls for South Africa. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. Now with less than six weeks to go until the start of the T20 World Cup, Pakistan are the latest team to announce their squad. But since then, the two famous figures have stood down from their roles. To get more on that, we're delighted to welcome in a moment or two ESPN Cricket Info's Osman Samiuddin to uh, The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Ms. Bowl Hack uh, has stepped down as head coach and Wakar Yunus as the bowling coach. They joined the Pakistan management team together and Wakar said when Ms. Bar announced his retirement, which he put down to uh, the strains and stresses of living in biosecure bubbles, etc. Then Wakar said, well, if he's going, I'm going too. It just maybe happened to be uh, two hours after that team was announced, which had a couple of controversial selections in it. Before we speak to Osman, England's T20 squad. Now, they have got some very, very difficult choices. I would go so far as to say they've got more difficult choices than any other team. England are, are blessed with uh, more match-winning T20 cricketers. Maybe I'm being harsh on India there. England and India. I suppose the Indian selectors will have as many headaches as, as England's. But um, as Chris Silverwood said, he's not going to put any pressure on Ben Stokes. And it, it really it just has to be left up to Ben, doesn't it, Harmy? Nobody, nobody should even think of trying to influence his decision. No, I don't think they should. And it would be, I think it would be wrong and cruel to even try and do that. I would leave, I would leave Ben Stokes until the start of next summer. I really would. Having dealt with mental issues and stuff like that that's going, I would leave him to start the season with Durham and get back into cricket in a in a in a and, and aware that would be lesser intensive intensive or, or, or magnified when it comes around. So I, I'm ruling Ben Stokes out of the World T20 and 
probably the ashes as well, because family, you need your family around you in situations like this, what he's going through. And if the family aren't going to be able to travel, I don't see the point of taking him because you might make it a hell of a lot worse. And we don't want to see that with Ben. England have got a team for the T20. I think 1-11, to 11, I think England are LB is match for everybody. I think they're one of the firm favourites alongside India. They've got some nice little change-ups and reserves as well if, if need be. Uh, big blow losing, obviously, Stokes and Archer. But I think 1-11, to 11, I think England will go in as, as one of the firm favourites. They've got power at the top. They've got power in the middle and lower end. Um, they've got two two good spinners in, in one-day cricket. They've got some nice all-rounders. Um, Mark Wood gives them a little bit of pierce. Could do with possibly another quick bowler. But all in all, I think England have got a very, very settled and good 2020 side to go over to the UAE to try and challenge India. Because I think that's, for me, it's India, the West Indies, and obviously what's happened with Pakistan and the coaches. Obviously, something's not quite right there. But... They'll be a, they'll be a force as well because we know in the shorter format how good the how how good Pakistan are. But England at this minute in time, I think clarity of their their group. I think it's an easy fifteen to easy fifteen to pick for me. Delighted <laughs> to say that we are now joined by Osman Samiud and ESPN Crick Info's Pakistan correspondent. Um, Oz, first of all, what on earth? I mean, you and I as journalists know that if you're given a deadline then you use it and you you submit whatever it is you have to submit on deadline. You don't do it two days early or three days early. So what's behind this early announcement of the team? I think, you know, it's, um, we all, you know, Ramiz Raja is incoming as, as chairman of the board. He's 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 meant to be elected uh, on September the 13th, but I think it's basically a, a fait accompli. He's, he's going to be the chairman when he comes in. He has been very keen to kind of put his stamp on things and, and, and be decisive and be on the front foot and stuff. And, and I think the squad announcement in, into which he's had uh, a bit of input, by the way, um, and, and, you know, he's chairman of the board, so maybe he shouldn't be having that kind of input, but he's had that input. Um, he's close to Mohammed Wasim, the chief selector. And I think it, it was a case of him wanting to kind of put down that, look, here we go. Um, and, you know, th- this is my kind of my chairmanship now, effectively. I'm intrigued by the Ramis. The Ramis chairman of the board is—is is this come from? Is this come from right the very top? I'm talking about Imran, Imran Khan. Is he wanted Ramis Raja, who he's close to, in um, at the at, at the top of Pakistan cricket? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, a couple of weeks ago, Ramiz met uh, Imran, and you know, there was no hiding it. Imran is officially the patron of the board, so he gets to kind of have a, a say in these kind of things. Although. You know, for, for the purposes of the ICC and political interference, he's not supposed to, but he does. Um, and so they met a couple of weeks ago. They had a chat. Imran, uh, the, the way I've been told it was that Imran was looking for an ex-cricketer to take over as, uh, at the top of the board. And, you know, not that he was particularly unhappy with, with Asan Mani, but he wanted an ex-cricketer. So he, he reached out to Ramiz, who had, of course, played a lot with Imran and, you know, is an Imran supporter and said to him that, can you find me somebody? And, and Ramiz looked around reported back saying that, listen, you know, I, I really can't think of anyone, which is when apparently Imran said to him, then but why don't you think of yourself for that role? And that's when the kind of ball started rolling. So it, it's very much come from Imran. And the, the changes that Ramiz plans to make and that he's already kind of made through his presence are very much a case of, you know, Imran saying that I, I want to see change. I, I don't want to just have you in there and be there. I want to see things change in front of me. So you know, I, I think we're going to see a bit of that over the next few months. And on the squad, 
I mentioned there's no um, Ashraf, who I think is a fine cricketer. Um, But the big surprise for me, having been, having worked on India-Pakistan for Pakistan TV, there's no fucker Zaman at the top of the order. He's going as a travelling reserve. Boy, Pakistan must have some side if they're going to leave somebody like that out. They don't. (laughs) So I'm not sure what the thinking has been, but I think, I feel like what they might do is, so they've got these games coming up against New Zealand. And I think the, the final, final deadline is October the 10th. So I think they're going to work that loophole somehow if Fakhar Zaman fires. It, it's strange, you know, I, I, I would have Fakhar Zaman in, in the team. And I know Pakistan have got uh, uh, an excess of options at the top of the order. But I think Fakhar has actually been not a bad option for them coming in one or two down. And, and I think, you know, the, the top of the order, people kind of say that Babar and Rizwan are kind of a bit semi-semi. They're very reliant, uh, very reliable, very consistent and, and good, but they're kind of a bit semi-semi in terms of their strike rates through the different phases and stuff. But I think in, in somewhere like the UAE, the kind of approach that Pakistan have with their batting on slowish kind of pitches, I, I think it probably works better for them to, to, to have that kind of start rather than have somebody like Fakhar or Shajil, for example, who would go hard from the very off, uh, and maybe not utilize the conditions as, as best as somebody like Babur and Rizwan can? Oz, so can I just clear up? Maybe we have cleared it up, or maybe you thought you had, but I'm not clear in my mind about the resignations of Mizbar and Wakar two hours after the squad was announced. I mean, was that coincidental? I know that Mizbar spoke very eloquently about the bubble fatigue, and of course he was he, he contracted COVID in the Caribbean, and it's been a stressful time, and Wakar said, well, if he's going, I'm going. Um, is there was there is there more to that because it, it all did seem a bit peculiar timing wise. Yeah, it's listen. We'll just say because I think I think it is. I think it it is what we've heard again is that uh, you know Ramiz had a chat with both both of them and kind of said that listen you know no hard feelings but the big man wants a change and we're gonna go ahead with that change. So it's kind of up to you how you how you do this uh, whether you leave on your own terms, or we have to come and, you know, essentially sack you. And I think they both saw the writing on the wall. Mizbah had been a little bit unhappy with selections and stuff. Uh, I think Wakara was okay, but I don't think either of them were unhappy to the extent that they would resign. And, you know, there's been, it's, it's Pakistan. Neil, you've covered enough of, of Pakistan's, you know, various kind of scandals and controversies over the years to know that something like this doesn't just happen on the day. You know, this would have built up. People would have been, Mizbah, there would have been leaks from Mizbah's side saying that he's not happy with the role. He's not happy with the role. He's thinking of leaving. There, there was no sign of this at all. You know, I know people who have spoken to him recently uh, and, and he had not mentioned this anywhere and suddenly it's happened and, oh, let's, you know, let's blame COVID for it. And without Abdul Razak and uh, Saklim Mushtaq coming in as interim coaches, where do you see Pakistan going? Do they go with one of these two guys for, for the future? Or can you see Pakistan going back into an overseas coach? Because I know one of my former coaches, top man, Andy Flowers, name's been mentioned doing the PSL. Does that does does that name float the boat or float the juices of Pakistan cricket? Because he's been around the world, he understands the game. An experienced, calm figure to try and get a calm and influence if you can do with Pakistan cricket. Yeah, I mean, Andy's had great experience with the PSL as well. You know, he's loved he's loved uh, being coach at, at Multan Sultans and the Zalmi. I think he's also done Zalmi as well. 
from what I from what I knew, I don't think Andy was interested in a full time role with Pakistan. I think he's happy with the PSL and, and these kind of gigs. Pakistan were obviously interested. Pakistan were also interested in in Peter Moore's. Uh, but as of yesterday, I think I, I think he didn't want to do it, so they kind of have moved on, and they're looking for. Um, I, I was told that they're looking for a couple of T20 specialist Australian coaches for now who would work under Saklain Mushtaq, who would take over the kind of uh, a Ravi Shastri role as, you know, kind of just almost a manager kind of coach, but more maybe a manager, more more a guy who just sits there with his presence. Um, Razak, I, I don't know, he, he's young as a coach. He's had a good domestic season. He's won, you know, he won three titles with various teams last year. And so he's had some kind of impact, obviously, on younger players. I'm not quite sure how much of like, you know, how much of a qualified kind of thinking scientific data-led coach he, he is or is going to be. Uh, he, he's going to be very much interim. The only thing I think is maybe they stick with Saklain in some capacity, but I think they're looking uh, and knowing Ramiz, I, you know, he, he, Ramiz, when he was chief executive officer in the early 2000s of the Pakistan Cricket Board, he was the man who brought in Bob Bulmer to Pakistan Cricket and, you know, probably one of the best coaches that Pakistan's worked with. Certainly a lot of players will testify, you know, at an individual level. So I think Ramiz will definitely be looking outside. And like I say, from what I'd but I've been told they're they already identified a couple of uh, a couple of specialist Aussie T20 coaches. I'm not quite sure, but also Aussie coaches who are real hard taskmasters because they feel like the team needs a bit of discipline. I think they're going to go that way. Thank you, Oz. Wonderful to speak to you. I hope Thanks, we'll get guys. you on the show again soon. See you soon, guys. Take care. Thanks, Army. You've been listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport Two with me, Neil Manthorpe, and the former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up. You can download the podcast from the following on feed, which is now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back next week to look back at the fifth and final test. This has been the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you're keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.